0: So, you haven't noticed that I am not Pastor Mark, um, but he has given me this opportunity uh, to teach the word to you guys. I realize it's a privilege. Um, It's a great responsibility. So thank you, Pastor Mark. Um, And he's, thank you for trusting me for not teaching you guys something that might confuse you or be a really weird subject. So that's why I've decided to teach tonight on the proper and biblical way to handle poisonous snakes in a way that will catapult your faith. So um, let's go ahead, open those doors. We've got some (laughs) snakes. Just kidding. kidding. It's good to laugh. Just playing. No, I want to talk to you guys a little bit about remembrance tonight. Remembering things. um, And really the topic will be, if you want to give a title to the sermon, it's going to be called Altars of Remembrance. And I believe this ties into what Pastor Mark has been teaching on Sunday nights. He's been talking about faith and faith's confession And I really believe that these two things really work hand in hand. Confession is so important. Um, It's a crucial step in regards to your faith. We know that um, proper faith is first hearing, right? Then believing, then speaking, then doing that speaking part. That's the confession part. And if you're missing that part of your faith, then... Um, it's not necessarily going to work super well for you. Speaking is so important um, in regards to your faith. You need to open your mouth and declare what's in your heart. That's really the whole essence of salvation that Paul talks about in Romans, right? If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. So there's an element of your faith that requires you to speak it out. it's, it's actually kind of goes hand in hand with action, speaking and, and, and doing really kind of go together um and so you know if you don't have confession you're missing that key element but you can only confess the right thing if you first hear and then believe the right thing so but the the cool thing about confession is also this that once those steps are in order your confession actually helps strengthen your faith as well it's this it's this two-edged sword where um you need strong faith i wrote it down strong confession is born out of a solid conviction of God's faithfulness so your confession comes out of that place of strong faith but it also helps increase that conviction and strengthen your faith, when you begin to continually declare it with your own mouth. You know, the word meditate is not sitting crisscross applesauce and going, hmm, that's not really what meditating is. If you look up the word meditate, it means to cogitate and excogitate, it means to mutter and to, and to stammer and to, and to declare. So when we meditate on the word, you know, God's very uh, clear about that, meditating in the word day and night, which means to confess the word day and night. We need to be believers, we need to be Christians who are continually confessing the word of God over their lives, in their lives, confessing who God is, what he's about. Um, So again, strong confession is born out of a solid conviction of God's faithfulness, but it also helps increase that conviction and strengthen your faith. We must be speaking and speaking faith, right? And it's more than just declaring what I want by faith. That's not really what confession is about. Confession is not a tool by which we work God, right, to get things from him, or get um, what we want. And I'm not against confessing the promises of God over your life, if you, if you read Mark 11, uh, 22 through 24, there's power in confession, you can speak to mountains and watch them move in your life. But again, that's according to the word of God, that's according to promises that are clearly lined out in his Bible, so I, I, I want to just clarify, I'm not against confessing, but it needs to be in the right order, and if you heard me teach a few months ago, I talked about, I had a message called uh, Purpose and Promise, or What's the Big Idea? And I, I kind of proposed this for you, that really faith is not about increase in things. It's about increase in relationships so you can be more obedient to the Lord. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, and we please him by obeying his word. And so it's the same thing. Strong, uh, confession, I don't want to be in a place where, where my confession is only about increase in things uh, instead of increase in relationship with him. I want my confession to first be about who God is and who he is to me. I want my confession to declare of his glory and to declare of his majesty and declare of his worth, right, and his kindness, his love, his mercy, his faithfulness towards me. Those are the things that we should be confessing. Imagine if you did that every single day for a month. You confessed those things. You kind of left out the needs, wants, desires, because newsflash, God already knows what those are. Right, well, it comes back to the Matthew six thirty-three times. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What are those things? The needs, the wants, the desires. Sometimes we put those first, right? Promise and, and purpose. The purpose of faith isn't to get things. The purpose of faith is to, to, to be pleasing to the Lord. And so it's the same thing with confession. I don't confess what I want. I confess who he is because he knows what I want and what I need. And he desires to give me the kingdom so we need to have it in the right order, in the right order. Um, there's a balance. Both are important. Confessing promises over your life, confessing who he is in your life. You just need to have it in the right order because at the end of the day, um, it's about trust. It's about his will, and it's about his way in your life. And I'll give you an example. Um, I have a truck, and if I were to go out of town and I threw Jerry the keys, I'd say, Hey, man, um, I know you like Toyotas. I got a Toyota. We bond over that. Um, so, can you just wash my truck? I know it's not going anywhere, but just take care of it while I'm gone. Can you please wash it? Would you, would you say yes? He said, sure. you know, he'll, he'll wash my truck. But I say, wait, wait, before you wash it though, I just, I need to lay it out for you. Um, Please, when you, when you wash my truck, I, I want you to, when you first get in my truck, I need you to wear um, breathable clothes because I don't want you to sweat and make my truck really smelly. And I want you to, not just to go to any, any car wash, I need you to take 82 to Carbondale, Carbondale and go to Sunburst Auto Care because that's the best car wash in the valley, all right? and uh, go five miles under the speed limit, please. And when you get there, clarify that they're using softened water in their car wash. And I want you to pay with really crisp bills from the ATM, but here's the deal, it needs to be out of your account, because I'm not, I'm not super liquid right now. And, and what happens is, when, 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 when you're done, I want you to dry it off with a, with a clean, brand new chamois, and I want you to polish and wax it with Meguiar's, not turtle wax. But here's the other thing, I only have turtle wax, so you're gonna have to go to the store and buy Meguiar's and then you're going to have to to clean it, polish it up, and then drive it back to my house on 82. Make sure you go five miles under the speed limit, and then uh, put an air freshener in there when you're done. Thank you, Jerry. That, to me, doesn't really seem like I trust Jerry with my truck all that much. To me, it kind of seems like I'm just using Jerry to get things done my way. And sometimes we treat God the same way, and it should not be so. Some of you might be thinking, hey, that was super over the top, Jonathan. Some of you guys might be like, that was perfectly acceptable. After all, it is your truck. <laughs> but in order for this analogy to be completely correct, we got we to gotta fix some things, okay? So in this analogy, I'm me, but Jerry's God, and the truck is actually Jerry's. Does that make sense? So why would I be telling God how to handle the thing that's already his? Amen? So, uh, our lives are not our own. We are stewards of what's been given to us, right? We should trust him. I don't need to confess every single detail in what I want, how I want it, and what time it should be coming into my life. I need to be trusting him. I just want to be a person who unconditionally which means without conditions, right? Your own conditions. We put our own conditions on how God should speak, on how God should act, when God should do it. I trust him unconditionally. I say, God, I confess your word, but here's the deal. You know what's best. Your timing is best. I I trust you with the details, amen? Confession. Again, let me reiterate. Not against confessing promises over your life. I hope, I hope you see um, what I'm talking about here. There's a difference in saying, God, uh, according to your word, I am declaring this promise over my life because I am acknowledging the covenant that I have with you, rather than, hey, I'm confessing this thing and it may or may not be biblical, but who cares? Because if you confess it, you possess it. That's different. And we got to have things in the right order. Amen. In the right order. So remember like 15, no, like 10 minutes ago when I talked about how we were gonna talk on remembering? Hopefully you remember that. Let's get into that, okay? So altars of remembrance um, and the power of remembrance, really. Um, a couple of years ago, actually I think it was in 2011, um, Pastor Marshall Townsley, who will be here in February, by the way, mark it down, look, at, look it up on the app, um, and come, he's, he's really good. Um, he taught on this Subject, he called it regal remembrance, and this is really bad because I don't really remember what he said, but I just remember that it was really good. Um, And uh, so I tried to look for my notes. I couldn't find my notes on it, and I'm like, you know what? I'll I'll just go online, and I will look up regal remembrance and see if his things pop up. I wanted to use a couple of his points in my sermon. It was just that good. And uh, I just want to let you all know that the number one hit for regal remembrance on Google is a decorative um, cremation urn. So, if you're needed one of those, go ahead and search Regal Remembrance. If not, look elsewhere. Um, Regal Remembrance, (laughs) which is funny. But uh, I believe that when we take the time to remember something good in our past, it sparks us to have hope and faith for the future. If I can remember the faithfulness of God in my life in the past, And I can believe that he will be faithful again. You know, it builds our faith. Remembering is a way we build our faith. Amen. So that's why I believe testimony is so powerful. Testimony. um, When you hear someone's testimony of the faithfulness of God and what he's brought them through or what he's brought them out of. When you're listening to that, it should spark something on the inside of you. It should encourage you. After all, the word testimony literally means do it again. Do it again. So when someone stands up there and testifies, they're saying, hey, God did it for me and he'll do it for you. They're testifying of what he's done, amen? So did you know that every time you remember something God has done in your life, you're actually inviting him to do it again. Remembering is so powerful. This is what Revelation 19.10 is about. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Revelation 19.10 says this, that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what, what does that mean? The testimony of what Jesus has done for me, when I testify of what he's done, I'm actually prophesying that he'll do it again in my life. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, remembering what he's done and prophesying that he'll do it again in your life. Amen? Remembrance builds our faith. So... Um, in Jewish culture, remembering is, is, is really important, not just in biblical culture, but even in, in modern-day culture. And I'm not going to pretend to be a scholar uh, on Jewish customs, but I know that they have seven feasts every single year that are super important, and they're mostly about remembering what God's done and what God's delivered them from. That's what the Passover is all about, the deliverance from Egypt, right? And so God is in the business of having his children remember You see, the Jewish nation was taken out of Israel and into captivity, and one of the only ways that they were able to maintain their identity was to remember, was to remember. Um, It was so important for them to remember who God was, what he had previously done for them, and what he had promised them that he would do. So to remember. So it's extremely important also because God told them to do it. Right? So why do we tell people to remember something? This isn't a trick question. Why do we tell people to remember? You can shout it out. This is an interactive service. Again, we're handling snakes at the end. Um, why? was well, this important so they don't forget. Usually it's because we think that person's going to forget. My mom told me so many things when I was a kid. Remember, 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 because I was a king of forgetting. But God is the same way. He knows it's kind of human nature for us to forget. And so he told his people, remember, remember lest you forget, right? You read all through the Old Testament, Exodus and, and Deuteronomy. He, he, remember the Lord your God. Remember lest you forget. Deuteronomy 4.9 in the contemporary English version. I'll just read it for you. We don't have that translation. But it says, you must, this is God talking. He says, you must be very careful not to forget the things you have seen God do for you. Keep reminding yourselves and tell your children and your grandchildren as well, right? It's natural for us to forget God knew this, and there's actually two reasons why we forget things. I want you to write these down. There's two reasons in why we tend to forget God and his faithfulness. We forget him because of success, and we forget him because of pain, okay? We forget him because of success and because of pain. Success will make you believe that you did it on your own. And pain will make you believe that God never cared or God was not around. And both are lies. Listen, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, God warned Israel about the pitfalls of success. He said in Deuteronomy 8, he basically said, hey, if you obey me, things, I'm paraphrasing, things are going to go very well for you. You're going to eat the fat of the land. You're going to have more than enough, right? It's going to go well for you. You're going to have a lot of livestock. You're going to just, you're going to be okay, right? And uh, he said, but be careful because there's this pitfall of success, and you might get into this place where you think it was me who did it all along. I did this. Look what I've done, right? And he said, remember, no, 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 no. I'm the one who took you out of Egypt. I'm the one who sustained you in the desert. You remember when you were crying out in misery because you thought we were going to starve? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I brought the manna. I brought the quail. I was the one who sustained you, and I'm the one who gives you the power to get wealth. So do not forget because God knew success will make you forget of his faithfulness. And he actually reminded, there was another example of pain uh, having them forget his faithfulness. Previously in Exodus um, chapter 16 when when, uh, God delivered them out of Egypt. And they were at this place in the desert where they were starving. And they actually wished that they were back in Egypt. Because even though they were slaves, at least they ate. It's so funny because... Yeah, you ever, like, spoken way too soon? Like, I was so good at that in class, and I would just say something, like, and then the teacher would be like, yeah, I was getting to that. Just be quiet, please. am like, oh, okay, sorry. Um, yeah, God had a plan all along. He was going to give them manna all along. But they, they were like, God, just, like, we're starving. You left us out here to die. It's like we should have been back in Egypt. And how quickly they forgot of the faithfulness of God because of their own pain. So success and pain are reasons why you forget about the faithfulness of God. Again, they they complained, and this kind of reminds me, it brings me back to one of my previous points of wanting God's promises in your own way. You know, it's like, God, deliver me. Ugh, Ugh, not that way. Not like that. No, I wanted it to be this way. I wanted it to be my way. I didn't want manna. I wanted filet mignon. I said, feed me, but not like that. Right? be careful success and pain they both keep us focused on something that's temporary and something that's right in front of us and it's fleeting um there's that there's that uh old idiom you know you miss the forest for the trees so what happens a lot with success and pain it causes you to miss the forest for the trees it causes you to focus on what's in front of you and to think that thing is going to last forever which is really not true. The power of remembrance is what does it do is it pulls you out of that forest and it brings you up to God's perspective where you can look back and see, oh yeah, yeah, I remember when you delivered me out of that forest and oh look, I can see the end of this forest. It's right around the corner, it's right there. But if we never take the time to remember, what what do we do? We sink right back into the forest and we got this big old tree right in front of us, whether it's success or whether it's pain. Either way, it's temporary. Either way, it's not God. And we get so focused on it But if we take the time to remember the previous faithfulness of God, it brings us up, it brings us out, so we can look back at previous deliverance and forward to future deliverance, amen? You get to that point where you say, God, I trust you. I know I'm in the forest now, but I see the edge. I see remembering, right, remember uh, Revelation 19.10, testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. When you remember what he's done, it prophesies to your future. I see the edge and you're gonna deliver me once again. I remember and I testify of what you've done and I'm prophesying that you'll do it again, amen. Um, Y'all remember the old hymn, uh, come thou fount of every blessing? You might be surprised that I know that, um, because I'm young. Oh, I was gonna tell a joke and I forgot it. I'll tell you this joke. You know, they say when you get older, your memory's the first thing to go. That's not true. I don't remember what the first thing to go is, but it's definitely not that. And I know I'm too young to say that joke, but I, I forgot to say it, oh well. Um, anyways, <laughs> you will remember in Jesus' name. Um, funny story, I'll just say this to My mom, my dad, he, had a str- he struggled with remembering things. And so my mom was reading Proverbs. Um, I can't remember, the, I think it was Proverbs 10. And there's a, there's a passage in there that says the memory of the righteous is blessed. It's not talking about your memory at all. It's really just talking about, like, your legacy. Um, but anyways, that's so, what's the cool thing about the word of God? Even if you might not necessarily know when you attach faith to it, God can still bring it to pass in your life. Um, and it was so funny because she's like, I'm just going to declare this over Brian. The memory of the righteous is blessed. You're righteous. Your memory's blessed. You can remember things. And he did. He started to remember a bunch of stuff. And then I remember... One day somebody burst her bubble, they're like, that's not what that means. (laughs) She's like, uh, (laughs) well, it worked, amen. (laughs) Yeah, the memory of the righteous is blessed. So the old hymn, come thou fount of every blessing. When I was in middle school, I went to a private Christian middle school called Alpine Christian Academy in Basalt, Colorado. It's no longer there. Um, But it was very instrumental in making sure I wasn't a um, total wreck when I was growing up. Uh, <laughs> and I remember every single Wednesday, we would have a chapel, and uh, we had a pretty strict dress code, but on, on uh, Wednesdays, I had to wear, like, a suit and tie, and I was, like, in sixth grade in this oversized suit, <laughs> like, oh, uh. and uh, I remember every single Wednesday, we would sing all these old hymns. We'd sing, Be Thou My Vision, which is, like, my favorite, and then every other week, basically, we would sing, um, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, and we'd get, um, we'd get to the second verse, The second verse, you know what I'm talking about? Here I raise my Ebenezer. You know what I'm talking about? Here by thy great help I have come. I'd get to that and I was like, I don't know what that means. As far as I was concerned as a sixth grader, Ebenezer was the name of a grumpy old man uh, in a Christmas carol. And I had no intention of raising, raising him up, right? And so I wasn't gonna go around to the old people I knew, is your name Ebenezer, is your, oh it is? Okay, I'm gonna lift you up. I didn't know what it meant, but we sang it every other week. Uh, here I raise my Ebenezer. So it was only recently, not too recent, because like, this afternoon, I'm kidding. Uh, it was only recently that I understood what that word Ebenezer meant. And uh, I thought I'd talk about it tonight. Um, we really see the first account of Ebenezer, or, or an Ebenezer being used um, in First Samuel chapter 7. And this is when Israel was under attack. The, when were they not, right, um, <laughs> by the Philistines, and they were going into the land of, I forgot, Mespah, and um, the Philistines caught wind of it, and they were going to attack them, and Samuel was the prophet over Israel at the time, and they're freaking out, they're saying, uh, Samuel, this is bad news, can you please just, like, lift up a little prayer to God for us, and make sure they don't kill us, so uh, that's what Samuel did, and actually what was really cool, you read this account in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 7, is how they won the battle is basically God just shouted like, as loud as he could, and it was like so thunderous and so powerful that it confused the Philistines, disoriented them, and they got their butts whooped by the Israelites. And after that, um, Samuel uh, erected what was known as an Ebenezer, and uh, you can read it. In uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7 and in verse 12, so after the battle, Samuel builds this altar of remembrance. Uh, Verse 12, Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mitzvah and Jasana. He named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. So that word Ebenezer is, is uh, the Jewish word for stone of help. Here I raise my Ebenezer, here by thy great help I've come. It means a lot different to a sixth grader if they understood that. It's um, saying I'll raise this altar of remembrance, knowing that you are the stone of help. Amen. We see another example of an Ebenezer Or an altar of remembrance in Joshua chapter 4, when God parts the Jordan River so they can cross on dry land. And at the end, um, God instructs Joshua to erect another altar of remembrance. Or we we might be safe to say, we call it just an Ebenezer, right? In verse 21, then Joshua said to the Israelites, so they already done it. What he did is actually he took one person, one man from each tribe, So 12 men, and they all gathered really big stones, and they placed it at the bank, and then Joshua actually placed more in the river, Um, but they said, this is the altar of remembrance. Verse 21, then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea. Which is so cool, because it was that same type of deliverance. The, the, the Israelites that crossed the Red Sea, they died like after 40 years, and it was like a whole new batch of people, and God got to show them the same type of deliverance um, to them as well. I thought that was really cool. Um, when he dried it up, and we had all crossed over, he did this so all nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful, and so you might fear the Lord your God forever so he's instructing them to build these altars of remembrance there are um, a lot of other instances in the Bible as well I'll just give you some references um, when God promised that he would always be with Jacob in Genesis uh, chapter 28 um, when God rescued Jacob from Esau in Genesis 33 and then they and then they had another one in uh, uh, chapter 35 it was another remembrance of when God delivered Jacob from Esau um, when God uh, defeated the Amalekites In Exodus 17, and when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses in Exodus 24. So God is very much concerned with looking back and remembering his faithfulness. Amen. Um, He's very concerned with it. Exodus uh, chapter 20, uh, verse 24, uh, God is instructing them. He says, the altars that you make for me must be simple altars. Sorry, I have the wrong... I gave you the wrong translation. Um, The altars you make for me must be simple altars of earth. Offers on such altars your sacrifices to me, your burnt offerings, your sheep and your goats and your cattle, and here's the cool part. Build altars in the places where I remind you who I am and I will come and bless you there. Let me read that again. Build altars in places where I remind you who I am and I will come and I will bless you there. That is a powerful statement from God. Building altars in places where he reminds us of who he is. And he will come and he will bless us there. So every time we're in a place that reminds us of his faithfulness, we should be building an altar. Every time he comes through for us, you should be building an altar. Every time he proves his faithfulness, every time he delivers the victory in your life, you should be building an altar And when you do, and you look back and remember that, when we take the time to reflect and to look back, to visit that altar, it says that he'll come and meet you right there, and he'll bless you. And here's just my opinion. It's Jonathanology. I can't really prove it. But when he talks about, I'll bless you right there, it's what I talked to you about before. When it comes to testimonies, when you hear a testimony, it should spark some faith in you. I believe that when you revisit that altar of remembrance, the Lord coming and blessing you is that reignition of your faith, that stirring up of that hope on the inside saying whoa god is delivering the victory for me today that's that blessing a reignition of hope a reignition of faith come on right that's just my opinion but it revitalizes it restirs it back up in you and if you're struggling right and you don't think you're gonna make it look back right go back to that altar of remembrance maybe you haven't built any in your life yet Today's a great place to start you know you want to know the best time it was it is to plant a tree 25 years ago, second, second best time is right now, right now. So you haven't built any altars, that's okay. Well, there's the great thing about the word of God. There's already tons of accounts of the faithfulness of God, altars of remembrance that have already been built that you can look back upon as a believer who has the word of God, the written word of God. Hey, just to plug in uh, a, a shout out, have the written word of God, come on something tangible, something tactile in your hands, because I don't know what the future holds, but you might not even be able to get on your cell phone in a couple of months. And if you got to have the written word, and more importantly, this has got to be in your heart. The Bible talks about that Jesus said, uh, God, he, he's not just going to have it written on tablets of stone now. God is going ri- to write it on the tablet of your heart. The word of God should be written on the tablets of your heart, because I could lose this. I mean, it's, uh, uh, this is going to last longer than just internet version, I believe, if I take care of it. But even if this goes away, i got to put this in here, the written word. Come on, write it on the tablet of your heart. Get a real Bible, though, man. Something that looks good. Something, well, uh, something that smells good. Come on, I talk about this every time. It smells good. Man, this is leather, but hey, man, it's the Word of God. It's alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two edged sword. It divides asunder between joint and marrow, between truth and a lie, between the intentions of the soul and the spirit. God's Word is alive. Come on. When I mean, it's time for us to start reading it and using it in our lives. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. You might think this is sacrilegious. I stand upon the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Amen? What was I saying? (laughs) Ebenezer. (laughs) Name your kid that. Um, Yeah, having the written word is important. Um, Yeah, building an altar. Yeah, looking back in the word. People who've built those altars, people who have testified of the faithfulness of God, right? You can look back. Let the testimony of those who've gone before serve as an altar of remembrance, and let God meet you right there and reignite your faith once again, right? That's what Hebrews 12 uh, verse 1 is talking about, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us, Right? Um, so we might run the race with endurance, the race that is set. You know, that's not talking about, like, when it says we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. I'm sorry, I'm not giving you guys any love. I keep walking over here. Hold on. Camera guys, thank you. Um, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, you know, that's not talking about a bunch of people in the grandstands of heaven going, yeah, run, woohoo, go for it, yeah, yeah, don't trip, good, good job. No, no, no. What it's talking about is like a legal setting. Imagine a courtroom, right? We're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, which means in a legal court of law, those people that went before us could take the stand as an eyewitness to the faithfulness of God and testify that he has been faithful in their lives, right? Abraham and Isaac, come on. They can testify. They're, they take the stand in a legal courtroom and say, I am an eyewitness. I don't know what you're saying. I don't know what the devil's trying to tell you. I don't know what your past experience is trying to tell you. I don't know what traditions are trying to tell you. But I have an eyewitness account that God's been faithful, and I'll take the stand yeah, and I'll swear, to, you know, I'll be under oath and I will tell you, I will testify that his word is true. And that he's been faithful in my life and guess what god shows no partiality so if he's been faithful to me he'll be faithful to you i am a witness to god's faithfulness amen hebrews 12 1. Whew. glory to god i preached way too fast um i was gonna bring it but i, d- I didn't i have this watch um that my parents gave me when I graduated from Bible school and I did a really poor job of honoring that gift because I've never worn it. Um, Yeah, because the links are a little too, there's too many links in it. I have like little tiny wrists Um, and so I just never wore it but I look at it all the time and uh, um, every time I look at that watch um, it brings me back to that time when I graduated. I remember we when it was given to me, I remember we were at Carabas and I had chicken marsala, which was really good. And uh, they gave it to me, and they said, this is signifying um, this milestone in your life. And so that was a token that was kind of like an, an Ebenezer. It was something physical that I could look at, um, and it would bring me back to that time in my life. And I don't know if you have any of those um, in your life, maybe something physical that you can hold on to. I've got a little box full of things that remind me of my dad and remind me of certain experiences that I had with my dad. I have like scorecards from certain golf courses that we played. I have little toys that he gave me as a kid. I have a letter that he wrote me. And every time I open that box, it brings me back to that specific moment in time. And it reminds me, it correlates to that thing. And uh, Jesus did this beautifully at the last supper um, in the upper room with his disciples when, we, when they were taking communion, do this in remembrance of me. But the, the, the cup and the bread were actually tokens um, of remembrance that would correlate back to his death. And that's why we continue to do it. You know, and they had already, they had already done that. They've, they take communion, I mean, because of the Passover. The cup, the wine already signified blood because the, the Passover on the doorposts, right? And there was, there was already a significance of bread. But Jesus said, I'm establishing a new covenant with you. And so from this day on, when you hold the bread my body and from this day on when you drink the cup it's not just blood it's my blood that was shed for you and he and he had that little that that token so every time if I had enough foresight we would have taken communion that would have been cool Um, but every time you hold that bread and you drink of that cup it serves as a an altar of remembrance of the faithfulness of God and the sacrifice of Jesus and so I encourage you in 2021 We should be building altars of remembrance. Maybe you want to do that with some actual stones. Go for it. I'm not going to stop you. Well, you can also do it in the form of keeping a journal, right? Writing, or for the ladies, a diary. Um, (laughs) Keeping a journal, writing it down, writing down the faithfulness of God, because there will be a time in your life when you'll have pain, and you'll forget. There'll be a time in your life when you have success, and you'll forget. And those two things, if you're not succeeding, you're failing. And if you're not failing, you're succeeding. So it seems like pretty much all the time, you should be remembering the faithfulness of God. So we can have a lot of um, resolutions in 2021. I'm all about that, man, at least for the first two weeks. (laughs) But um, why don't we make a resolution? No, not a resolution. How about just a goal to... Write those things down to begin building those altars in our life, that Ebenezer, a, a, a marked point, a marked thing that says this is my stone of help. This is the, Jesus is my stone of help. God is my stone of help. And this thing, this thing I've written down whenever I look at it or this thing that I might hold whenever I look at it, it reminds me of the faithfulness of God and what he's done in my life. To begin to write those things down, um, again, not just when times are tough, um, but every moment. We should be visiting these altars in every single season, and let us live in a continual and constant state of remembrance. That lets us, I believe that we'll watch our faith increase um, in 2021. A lot of things we want to see grow. Uh, Faith should be number one. Um, Faith in him, faith in what he's doing, and faith that you um, are qualified. I'll say this, too. Um. This isn't part of the message, but if you guys listen to Take 10 this week, I talked about living life out of the overflow. And really, again, your life is not your own. Back to that analogy of the truck. I mean, the truck really isn't mine. Um, actually, it's not. It's the bank's. <laughs> um, but uh, my life is not my own. Um, and in 2021 and beyond, um, and you know, it's been prophesied, this is the year of the church. But it's not the year of the church to just feel good and just be like, woo Um, It's the year of the church going out and being the church in the world and living life to the overflow. You know, uh, uh, I believe Paul writes this in the New Testament. He talks about God's grace being uh, poured out to you abundantly um, that you might have all sufficiency in every season and that you you would have plenty left over to give to others. And so it's so important to remain full. Um, because it's actually, you don't give people what you don't have, and that that fullness, just imagine like this cup, um, it could be empty, it could be half full, it could be three quarters full, no matter what it is, that's for you. And uh, really, it's when that cup is full and begins to overflow, that's your witness to others. Um, So living in a perpetual state of overflow is so so important. I want to be able to walk into a room and have something to give to someone else. And I don't want, uh, the word of God, my devotionals, should just be something that I'm trying to supplement with. Again, you can't live off of supplements. you got to live off of whole food. you got to live off of uh, square, three square meals a day. And, uh, you know, when we just read the Bible here and there, I'll, I'll give you some statistics. They, they talked about Americanized Christianity, and they did a study over the course of a few years, and they, they did a poll, and they recognized that the average Christian reads their Bible 13 minutes a month. 13 minutes a month, right? A baker's dozen. Um, And then the average Christian prays 21 minutes a month. And that includes um, praying over your food. And to me, that's like taking a little spray bottle and trying to fill your cup, but you're only spraying it every once in a while. And it's not gonna work. Um, We live in the presence of God. We live in the word of God. Um, It should be like, living it should be like breathing you know david said in the old testament i I hungered after your word i devoured it i consumed it and i was i was satisfied and that's how we should be um, people who are continually filled right this is be filled you know don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the holy spirit that word in the greek is a is a state of continuous action so be continually filled with the spirit of god So it's something that we have to do. It's not just a one-time thing. I got saved when I was 12, I'm filled, done. No, 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 every single day, we're continually filling ourselves because things are not gonna change unless the church gets out. You know, and in Proverbs chapter 11, it says that those who sleep during harvest are sons who bring shame. And I don't wanna be asleep during the harvest. Guess what, the harvest season is now. The fields are white unto harvest. And the laborers are few because the laborers are asleep. And we got to be full. We got to be awake. We got to be full. And we got to go out and do our job. And it shouldn't be a burden. It shouldn't be an obligation. But when you're that full of the word, you're going to love to do it. I'm getting a thumbs up. I don't know what that means. Huh? Oh, communion. We can take communion. Let's do it. I did not ask Pastor Mark for permission. But let's do it. Oh, he did. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. I need to remember. Uh, But yeah, like, you need to have such a conviction that when you're out in public and you see someone who's hurting, that you're so burdened yourself if you don't talk to that person. And listen, it doesn't come overnight. You might be thinking, like, I don't care about anyone except for me. I've been in that place recently. It's because the cup ain't full. You fill yourself up. You're not just filling yourself up full of the word, it's everything that comes with the word. So it's life, it's joy, it's peace, it's love, it's compassion, it's empathy, everything that Jesus was. Listen, Jesus said everything I am on this earth you can be. Jesus was empathetic, Jesus had compassion. We can be the same way. Every encounter that we have with people should be an encounter with Jesus, amen? So again, you know, and I'm guilty of this. It's easy, I work at a church. It's like man, I'm doing the work of the Lord And then I go home, and it's easy to just get trapped in a rut. But you need to get outside of yourself, get outside of these four walls, and go minister to someone. And It might not be like preaching the gospel. It might be paying for someone's lunch or their groceries. It might be just telling them that Jesus loves them. It might be praying over that person. You see someone crying. You see, you know what's a really great time is on an airplane because they can't get away from you. So it's like (laughs) captive audience, right? Uh, But just pray. Listen, pray to the Lord, and he will give you those opportunities. Actually, there are so many opportunities, we just don't listen, and we're just not aware. But if you begin to start being aware, it will, it will just happen. And God will show you, talk to this person, do that. Don't go there. Go here. Say that. Pray for that person. Man, that's what being the church is all about. Come on. I don't want to be a church that um, Jesus talks about in Revelation. He's like, you, you missed the mark, and so I'm taking your lampstand away. I don't want to be that. I want to have the lampstand. I want to be the light. Amen? Does everybody have their um, communion? I need to get one. It would be weird. Oh, it would be very weird if I didn't uh, have one. So you guys remember there's a pull tab, but it's two in one, so there's a little tiny one on top. Pull that one first. Um, So you have the uh, cracker, the unleavened cracker um, ready, and then we'll do the... Cup. so hold on let me get serious again taking communion is such an important thing and pastor mark taught on it a few weeks ago when we actually took communion but he said that there's you know maybe just take a moment to reflect in your own life because uh, paul talked about this he said a lot of you are feeble and weak and some of you are even dying because you're not examining your own heart before you take this communion um, because it's not just a passive like thing this is powerful this is serving as remembrance of what jesus did for us and this is his body and this is his blood and we're in covenant with him we're in covenant with him amen which means everything that we have is his everything he has is ours we're in a covenant we're in a, a hundred hundred covenant right it's not 50 50 it's not 80 20 it's 100 100 and so just take a moment real quick um examine your heart for a second um if there's anything that's in there that might be self-seeking, that might be not pure, that might not be holy, there might be some bitterness, there might be some unforgiveness. Father God, we repent of that right now in the name of Jesus. I thank you um, that your blood um, has purchased uh, the uh, forgiveness for us, and you told us to forgive just as we've been forgiven, and you've forgiven us the greatest debt. Father God, um, you paid the price for us, and so if there's anyone in our lives that We might be bitter towards, we might be operating in unforgiveness towards. Father God, we repent of that. We ask that you would create in us a clean heart um, and a spirit that's pure and holy and steadfast uh, towards you, Father God. Uh, We love you and we honor you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And right now we just acknowledge your body. Um, That was broken and bruised for us. You laid over that whipping post, and you took stripes for our healing. First Peter two twenty four says that by your stripes, we've been made healed, uh, we've been made whole, and we acknowledge your body that was broken for us. And we don't take it lightly. Oh Jesus, man, I was just still in that uh, state of repentance. Forgive us, Lord Jesus, for not honoring this time and not honoring your sacrifice. Other oh, God, we repent. Oh, Jesus, you're worthy. We love you. Oh, it's your body that was broken for us so that we might be healed. We take it. You said every time you do this, every so often, whenever you do this, do it in remembrance of me. So right now, we take the time to pause, reflect, remember what you put your own body through. So that way, we might be whole in our body. Jesus' name, why don't we break and eat. Lord Jesus, this is the cup which signifies your blood of the new covenant, your blood that was spilled for us. Father God, I pray that our lives would be well representative of your blood, that not one single drop would be shed in vain, that not one single drop would be discounted, that uh, we wouldn't, uh, that we would be dishonoring to it. Father, I pray that that would not be so. We acknowledge your blood. We acknowledge the sacrifice. We acknowledge what it purchased your blood purchased communion with the Father once again. Your body was broken, your blood was spilled, the veil was torn, and entrance into the presence of God was restored once again. He said, as often as we take partake of the cup that we would do it in remembrance of you. So right now, we acknowledge and we remember the blood of Jesus, which purchased covenant, once again, we thank you for it, in Jesus' name. Let's take through the cup. Thank you, Lord Jesus, ah, for that opportunity. Huh. I thank you for the freedom that we have. I thank you that we can take communion as a church. I thank you. Um, For your your body and your blood, I thank you, Father God, for what you've done in our past, what you're doing in our present, what you're doing in our future. Father God, that we would build the altars of remembrance, those Ebenezer's, Father God, that we would take the time to write those things down, Father God. I pray that 2021 is a year like never before, not because the economy does something great, not because of whoever's in political power, Father God, but I pray that 2021 would be so great because it's the year that the church steps up into their rightful place and becomes salt and becomes light in this earth father god but we can't be salt and we cannot be light unless we first get the condition of our own hearts right first so father god we took communion now but let us be taking communion with you every single day which means Spending time in your presence, spending time in your word, spending time in prayer, acknowledging those things, Father God. You know, the word of God is like a mirror. I don't look into a mirror to think to see how good I look. I look into a mirror to see what's out of place. So I pray, Father God, that we would read the word and see it as something that gives us life, but it also corrects. It also realigns, Father God, that we would not be so caught up in our own pride. We would humble ourselves before you. You said in your word that you, you, you resist the proud, but you give grace to the the humble. I pray that we would all have enough humility to read your word and say, you know what? These are the things that I need to correct. These are the things in my heart that I need to get out. And this is what I need to start doing to have perfect communion with you. And it's out of that perfect communion that we can go and reach other people. Father God, I pray that we would understand our lives are not our own. Father God, again, we, we, we curse that apathetic spirit that says, whatever, what will be, will be. Que ra. That is not the attitude that we have in this season. Father God, I pray that we would have a holy uh, discontentment for the condition of the world. I pray, Father God, that you would give us a burden, even if it means that we don't sleep at night. Father God, you give us a burden for the city. You give us a burden for the lost. You give us passion. You give us compassion for those who need, Father God, for those who are in darkness, that we would have enough compassion to reach into the darkness and pull them back into the light, Father God. We are salt. We are light. It's time for the church to rise up and start acting like it. So I thank you, Father God, for your grace. In Jesus' name, Uh, your divine empowerment uh, in our lives, that we might do what you've called us to do. I thank you that you don't call us to do something that you don't equip us for and you're equipping us to be salt, you're equipping us to be light, you're equipping us to be the church. May we live lives that are holy and pleasing to you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Wow, thank you guys. Ooh, Hallelujah. Ooh. Good deal. Thanks for, doing, for getting those... Communion cups, guys, thank you guys for listening. Um, Thank you, Pastor Mark, Pastor Tasha, for letting me teach. Um, Y'all, tomorrow night, we're continuing with corporate prayer. Um, I encourage you to be there. Um, Not in spirit. Be there in person, all right? That's a really good excuse for a Christian. I was there in spirit, brother. Um, no, 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 be there in person. Take your physical body out of your chair and bring it to this chair. They're comfy, they're green, they're awesome, and uh, we're going to pray as a church. And Again, um, uh, the the agenda is, we don't have some crazy agenda to try and switch things. It's really more about our hearts. It's really more about the church and what we're going to do during this time, because listen, um, no matter what happens, uh, we still are in control of this. And uh, God is in control of his church, and he's not surprised by anything. So I encourage you, come, be encouraged, be strengthened. Come to corporate prayer, add your supply, tomorrow night at 7 p.m. And uh, tune in during the week for uh, Take Tens. And uh, look on the bulletin, the app for the guest ministers who are coming. Uh, Marshall Townsley in February, Mark and Trina Hankins in March. Um, It's going to be good. And get your kids, uh, your youth, to the youth conference I can't remember the dates, February.